Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of our World News Podcast. This podcast, along with all of our other news episodes, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication for multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds journal to see more please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash analyze educate ko-fi ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or analyze educate.substack.com so since this is a part of atlas news if you are listening to this on the atlas news app you listen a day before everybody else if you're listening to this on my feed you're listening a day after it gets released on atlas news with that being said, we'll head into the episode. Okay, getting started off here with the Americas, we got a U.S. presidential race update. These are poll averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 39. His disapproval is at 56%. Both of those remain the same from last week. Looking at Trump's favorability, that is at 44%. That is up one point from last week. His unfavorability is at 52. That remains the same. And actually, 44% is the highest favorability rating, average favorability rating he has had in at least three years, according to 538. Looking at the Democratic primary, Biden is at 74%. He remains the same from last week. Dean Phillips is at 7%. He also remains the same. Looking at the Republican primary nationally, Trump is at 77%. He is up one point. Nikki Haley is at 16%. She remains the same. And also the Republican South Carolina primary was held on Saturday. The winner of that state takes all delegates. Trump won 59.8% of the vote in all 44 delegates. Nikki Haley received 39.5% of the vote in zero delegates. And despite that, she is still staying in the race. Got a layoffs update so far this year across the world. 168 tech companies have laid off 42,000 workers, according to layoffs.fyi. New layoffs last week include BuzzFeed with 16% of its staff, Rivian with 10% of its staff, and Tails.com with 25%. The industry seeing the most cuts this year is retail with the consumer industry in second place in that regard. On Friday morning, a head-on collision in Madera County, California, killed eight people. Two vehicles, a truck, and a van were traveling on Avenue 7 in a rural area of the county. The Chevy pickup crossed over into the oncoming lane and hit the GMC van. The driver of the pickup was killed, and seven out of eight people in the van were killed as well. They were heading to work in the Firebot area, and most of the people inside the van were not wearing seatbelts at the time. On Friday afternoon, a Mississippi National Guard AH-54 Apache attack helicopter crashed in Prentice County. The helicopter was on a training flight when it crashed near a wooded area, which killed two soldiers. One of the soldiers was assigned to A Company, 1st Battalion, 149th Aviation Regiment, and the other was assigned to D Company, 2nd Battalion, 151st Aviation Regiment of the Lakota Medical Evacuation Unit. The two soldiers have been identified as... Chief Warrant Officer 4, Brian Andrew Zemek, and Chief Warrant Officer 4, and Derek Joshua Abbott. We will be praying for the families. 
For the first time since 1972, the U.S. has landed on the moon. The Odysseus lander launched by Texas company Intuitive Machine landed on Friday, and it is the first privately launched craft to land on the moon in history. The mission was conducted with cooperation from SpaceX and NASA. IM anticipates that Odysseus will operate for a week before it is frozen, putting it out of commission. Until then, it will conduct surveys and send that data back to Earth. China, India, Japan, and now the U.S. have all recently conducted unmanned landings on the moon, and NASA is currently trying to return to the moon with the Artemis program in 2026. Bulletin from the Borderlands released on the 15th. We discussed the recruiting and manpower crisis in the U.S. military, and our next release is on March 1st, so that's coming up. Looking at Ecuador, President Daniel Noboa has reversed a decision to send Russian and Ukrainian military equipment to the U.S. That equipment was coming from Ecuadorian military stocks and was eventually going to be sent to Ukraine by the U.S., with Ecuador receiving newer U.S.-made equipment in return. Noboa says that he reversed his decision after learning that the equipment would eventually be delivered to Ukraine. In all reality, that's probably not true. Really, everyone had the understanding that it would eventually go to Ukraine. The new issue is that Russia decided to limit imports of Ecuadorian bananas in response to the transfer. Prior to the invasion, 20 to 25% of the country's banana exports went to Russia, and that is likely a deciding factor in what made Noboa change his mind. Moving on to Africa, looking at the Democratic Republic of Congo, this is coming from Sebastian Gray of Atlas News. Two Romanian citizens are confirmed to have been killed in the DRC by rebels of the M23 movement near the town of Saki. The March 23 movement was formed in 2012 by mostly ethnic Tutsis and is opposed to the current DRC government. The group announced the identities of the two Romanians who they claim were mercenaries. They are Victor Relian and Basili Badea, and were part of a larger group of 20 Romanians. The men were all allegedly former soldiers who were recruited by a Romanian man named Haratu Potra, who owns a private military company called Societata Ralph. The group's mission in the DRC is to train Congolese soldiers and provide security as well. The company has been known to operate also in Sierra Leone, Burkina Faso, Jordan, and other countries. They have been in the DRC since November of 2022 and have been largely based in and around Goma, which is the capital of North Kivu province. They are known to operate out of the city's Mbiza Hotel, where a member of the Presidential Guard referred to it as the, quote, headquarters of the whites, end quote. They also guard the Goma International Airport, and the total contingent in the country is roughly 100 personnel year-round. The men are usually deployed to the DRC for three months and are paid 5,000 euros, or about 5,388 U.S. dollars each month. The group came under attack by M23 rebels and were engaged for 10 hours before they could withdraw, and four other Romanians were wounded in that same battle. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back looking at the Israel-Hamas war. We got reported casualties for Gaza. We have 29,606 killed, 69,300, I'm sorry, 737 injured. 
for Israel, we have 1,459 killed, 10,580 injured. For the Gaza operation, specifically, the IDF has taken 237 KIAs and 1,361 injured. For the West Bank, we have 400 killed, 4,550 injured. For Lebanon, we have 276 killed. For Syria, we have 126 killed. And for Egypt, we have nine injured. That gives us a total of 31,867 killed and 84,776 injured. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the number of journalists and media workers that have been killed in this war is 88. The vast majority of those were Palestinians that were killed in Gaza. That number is 83. Additionally, two Israelis and three Lebanese journalists have also been killed. And 16 journalists have been injured, four are missing, and 25 have been arrested since the start of this war as well. Clearance operations continue to the east of Khan Yunus in the south. That's the second largest city in Gaza. And the IDF has also strengthened its positions near the city of Rafah in preparation for an upcoming operation in the city. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says that his cabinet will convene this week to approve plans for the Rafah operation, which he claims will include civilian evacuations. We'll see how exactly they plan on doing that. Border clashes between Israel and Lebanese Hezbollah have continued. Not a whole lot to note on that front. Over 130 other hostages are still being held in Gaza. However, Israel believes that around 30 of those have since died. Negotiations to secure the release are still ongoing. An Israeli delegation is currently in Paris for that purpose. We'll see if they make any headway. Since October 17th, there have been at least 160 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon has confirmed 146 casualties. That includes three killed in action, two very serious wounded, nine seriously wounded, and 132 non-serious injuries. The U.S. military has launched nine response strikes since those attacks began, and there's not been a single attack on U.S. troops since February 4th, which is the day after that massive round of American airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. Moving on, Yemen-based Houthi rebels have continued their activity in the region. There have been at least 57 attacks or attempted attacks against commercial shipping and allied naval assets in the area since October 19th. U.S., U.K., and French forces have intercepted or otherwise struck 12 anti-ship ballistic missiles, 5 anti-ship cruise missiles, 7 land attack cruise missiles, and let's see here... 82 missile launch sites of various types, two radar sites, seven waterborne drones, one underwater drone, three small boats, 101 drones, including 18 on the ground, and two surface-to-air missile systems. On Thursday, U.S. forces destroyed four anti-ship cruise missiles that were preparing to launch. On Friday, U.S. forces destroyed seven Houthi anti-ship cruise missiles that were preparing for launch and also shot down three drones throughout that day. On Saturday morning, Arleigh Burke-class destroyer USS Mason shot down an anti-ship ballistic missile that was targeting U.S. flag carrier ship MV Torm Thor. On Saturday night, British and American forces conducted their fourth round of joint strikes against the Houthis, striking 18 targets. The Department of Defense says that the targets were spread out across eight locations and included drones, air defense systems, underground storage facilities, radars, a helicopter, and missile storage facilities. This is in retaliation for Houthi attacks on American-owned MV Navis Fortuna and MV Sea Champion and British-owned MV Islander and MV Rubemar.
Rubamar was hit on Monday, which caused the crew to evacuate. That ship is still taking on water, but was not sunk. Moving on to the Indo-Pacific region, looking at Taiwan. Over the week, a congressional member delegation, Codell, visited Taiwan. That was led by Representative Mike Gallagher, the Republican from Wisconsin, who also chairs the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. The delegation showed support for Lai Ching-te, who is set to take power as the next president of Taiwan. This visit angered China, unsurprisingly, that is to be expected. It also coincided with the announcement of a new $75 million military equipment sale to Taiwan by the U.S. When meeting with outgoing President Tsai Ing-wen, Gallagher said that, quote, today we've come as Democrats and Republicans to show our bipartisan support for this partnership which, thanks to your leadership, I think is stronger and more rock-solid than ever. This visit also comes as Chinese forces increased activity around Taiwan's Jimin Islands over the week. The Chinese Coast Guard's Fujian Division announced that it would strengthen maritime law enforcement efforts in the area. Additionally, a Taiwanese tourist vessel was harassed by multiple Chinese Coast Guard patrol boats on Monday, and another CCG ship entered Taiwanese waters on Tuesday and was chased away. And then also earlier this month, two Chinese fishermen drowned while being chased by Taiwan's Coast Guard after they entered prohibited waters. That has caused a lot of tension between the two countries. Moving on to Europe and Eurasia, looking at Russia, Alexei Navalny's death has been confirmed by his mother, who says that she saw his body this week. Russian officials have threatened to bury his body on the grounds of the penal colony where he died unless his mother agrees to hold a private burial for him. His mother, Lyudmila Navalnya, did not agree, so we'll see what happens there. Now, moving on, one of you on Instagram asked me if we covered the death of Gonzalo Lira on the show. Now, we have not. We have covered it on social media, Twitter, and Telegram, I believe, but not here. And since I was asked about it, and since Lira's death has gained a lot more tension since Navalny's death, I will do so now. now Gonzalo Lira, for those that don't know, was a dual Chilean-American citizen who spent years living in Ukraine. He was a dating coach and a right-wing journalist. And once the invasion began, Lira was living in Kharkiv and began covering the war and other subjects pertaining to Ukraine and Russia from the point of view that was skeptical of both the Ukrainian government and U.S. involvement in the former Soviet Union. He is also widely accused of being pro-Russian and spreading propaganda. He disappeared briefly in April of 2022. His detention by the Security Services of Ukraine, the SBU, was confirmed by American journalist Sarah Ashton Cirillo, who would later become a spokesperson for Ukraine's territorial defense forces. Lira resurfaced a week later, and the disappearance saw Chile's foreign ministry get involved as well. Now, he was arrested again in early May of 2023 for allegedly violating Article 436-2 of Ukraine's criminal code, which prohibits justification of the Russian invasion. He was later released on bail, and he claimed that while he was in prison, he was tortured by other inmates that were directed by prison guards, and the government has denied that accusation. Lira also claims that prison guards and the SBU extorted $70,000 from him. Now, after he posted bail, he attempted to flee the country by crossing into Hungary in late July, but he was arrested in the process for violating the terms of his bail. On January 12th, his father, Gonzero Lira Sr., reported that he had died in prison. Now, Lira's death was confirmed by the U.S. State Department in Chile's Foreign Affairs Ministry. 
Lyra Sr. blamed Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and U.S. President Joe Biden for his death. Now, the official cause of his death was pneumonia, but skeptics of Zelensky and his government are not buying that explanation. After he reappeared in 2022, Lyra posted a list of names on Twitter with the caption, For the truth about the Zelensky regime, Google these names. And at the bottom of that post, he said, quote, Once again, if you haven't heard from me in 12 hours or more, put my name on that list, end quote. That tweet is still pinned to his profile if you wish to take a look at it. During his escaped attempt last year, he said that he would either cross the border into Hungary safely or he would be, quote, disappeared by the Kiev regime, end quote. Here are my thoughts that I posted to Twitter and Telegram after his death. If he actually is dead, at the very least, it's definitely not a good look for the Ukrainian government. This is true. Even if Lyra died as a result of illness while imprisoned, Lyra routinely claimed that the Zelensky regime, as he put it, would have him disappeared and or killed. He also claimed that he was tortured during his first imprisonment in Kharkiv. Now, the fact of the matter is whatever happened to Lyra during his imprisonment, whatever actually happened, his death will be used by Ukraine skeptics to drum up support against further U.S. and Western aid to Ukraine. And we now know that that actually is the case. Allowing Lyra to die was a huge mistake for Ukraine, and it has only fueled the skeptics at a time when Ukraine's ability to defend against the Russians is increasingly becoming more contingent on Western support. The death of an American citizen in a Ukrainian prison, the lack of media coverage surrounding it, and the refusal of the U.S. government to even really address the issue is hurting Ukraine's cause more than it is helping it. Just as he theorized he might, through death, Lyra has become a martyr to those that seek to witness either a Russian victory or, at the very least, a Ukrainian defeat. And that's what I have to say on the matter. Moving on to the Russo-Ukrainian War on Saturday, February 24th. That was the second anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. After little change in the control of territory in the last year, Russia still holds about half of Kherson. All of Crimea, half of Zaporizhia, half of Donetsk, most of Luhansk, and a small portion of Kharkiv. Myself and John from the Fence Bulletin actually got together a couple days ago to record a war report to mark the anniversary. I will get that edited out and sent out to you guys soon. That will be uh, available for early access for those that support us on Patreon and Substack. On Friday, Russia lost another A-50 airborne early warning and control aircraft that's known by its NATO name, Mainstay. The plane was intercepted by multiple air defense missiles while flying over Krasnodar or Krai near the Sea of Azov. The downing has been confirmed by multiple Ukrainian and Russian sources, including Telegram Channel Fighter Bomber, which is heavily linked to Russia's military aviation community. Ukraine's armed forces and military intelligence have claimed responsibility for the attack, however, that may not be the case. The plane was downed about 124 miles or about 200 kilometers from the front lines. Fighter bomber alluded that friendly fire may be at fault and other Russian sources say that these missiles were fired from Mariupol, which is of course under Russian control. While the Russian downing of their own A-50 would be crazy, it would not be the first friendly fire incident downing a Russian aircraft during this war. This is the second mainstay that Russia has lost this year. Those aircraft are valued at $330 million, and each plane becomes more valuable as their numbers continue to dwindle down. Russia has roughly seven or eight of these still in service, and we don't know how many of those are operational. That is all I have for you guys this week, so I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, all your support 
means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram, same name. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon, Ko-Fi, or Substack. All those links can be found in the show notes below. And like I said last time, we are taking a trip to Ukraine coming up soon. We'll be there for a few weeks. So any support you guys throw our way would actually help out a lot. The thing that's costing the most, of course, is plane tickets. Those are not cheap. So again, I would really appreciate all the support you guys throw our way. That would really, any anything would help me cover the cost. So I, I'd really appreciate that. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app. You used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well. And I'll see you guys soon.